Who is church for? I think there are lots of misconceptions that are out there at this moment. I remember when lockdown first began and the Church of England decided to shut all the doors of their buildings, some of the newspaper commentators asked, well, why? I mean, these buildings are basically empty anyway, they argued. Nobody goes to church these days, they said. So uh, a few people will very easily be able to self-isolate in those large buildings. It would be good to have places, they said, that there would be like sanctuaries of quiet and peace where people could meditate or pray if, if that was your thing. So to those who think like that, church is for, well, it's for old people. It's for mystical people, perhaps. It's for religious people. It's a, it's a quiet place for more me time. But who is church really for? I mean, there are so many misunderstandings about Christianity in Britain today. And so we need to rediscover the real Jesus Christ who is at the center of Christianity. The clues in the name, I guess. And the best way to do that is to read one of the original biographies of Jesus. In our Sunday online services, we've been looking at the biography written by Mark, who got all his information from Peter, one of the key disciples of Jesus. One of the surprises for those who are reading this for the very first time is to see how um, around Jesus, it was anything from being quiet. It was not a contemplative experience. There were large crowds following him everywhere in his public ministry. And another thing that surprises people is that by and large, the religious people did not like Jesus. He, he kept doing things and saying things that were just scandalous to them. Take, take a look at the people who he invited to be his disciples. Uh, Mark records the shock when Jesus chose a man called Levi. And we're going to see in a moment why this was such a shock. Uh, why this is not the person you'd invite if you cared about political polls of the general public. Everything about this event speaks of amazing grace. And if that just sounds like jargon, well, keep on listening. Uh, grace is the word that describes receiving what we do not deserve. It is about being shown undeserved kindness. And I want to show you three aspects of this amazing grace of Jesus in this, in this account. And the reason that it's worth your time to listen on this is because it still holds true for us today. Because if you get grabbed by this grace of Jesus, then you'll find it'll just keep transforming your life. So three aspects of Mark's account here. Sovereign grace, scandalous grace, and saving grace. So let's just think about the sovereign grace of Jesus in the first verses 13 and 14. Mark has already told us the events that show Jesus has impressive authority, the sort of authority that fits with his claim that Jesus is God's promised Messiah, King. His authority is God-like in his teaching, in his healing of people, in the way that he showed he could forgive sins and the way he called people to follow him. Only the Son of God could do this. And we've already seen his authority over people. He called four fishermen, remember, to follow him, including Simon Peter. But the next person he called to be one of his disciples must have made a lot of people just scratch their heads in surprise. <laughs> I mean, notice how intentional is this decision by Jesus. Verse 13 tells us a very large crowd. 
uh, was walking alongside him. They chose to go to him. But it's none of these that he specifically invites. Verse 14, as he walks along, he sees Levi sitting down doing his job of collecting money from people at the tax collector's booth. This is the one. In a very public way, surrounded by the crowds, this is the one that Jesus uh, calls out with the words, follow me. This invitation comes as an act of sovereign grace. What do I mean by that? Well, sovereign, because Jesus takes the initiative, he commands like a king, and gracious. If Jesus had taken a poll of the first four disciples of Andrew, Simon Peter, James and John, and said to them, hey, I'm thinking about asking Levi, the tax collector, to join the team. What do you think of that idea? Well, I think it would have been met with lots of very nervous looks. Levi? The tax collector? That Levi? <laughs> Is that a joke, Jesus? Really? Perhaps we should first run this past some focus groups, get to see what the approval ratings would be for such a decision. But to be honest, Jesus, I don't think this is going to go down very well for the team. Now, uh, paying taxes is generally not enjoyed by most people. I still remember the shock of receiving my first uh, salary payment to see how much the tax man was going to deduct from my salary. But by and large, we've got honest and trustworthy people working in the tax offices, doing a, an important job, funding NHS and other things like that. In the time of Jesus, the tax collectors were totally despised. They were the bad people. I mean, tax collectors bid to get the contracts to extract taxes from the people to pay the hated occupying forces of Rome. They were the collaborators with the Roman Empire. They got rich by ripping off their own people, asking for more money than was required and skimming the rest. The more they squeezed, the wealthier they got. And if Levi was a typical tax collector, then his trade was basically one of extortion, stealing, bribery and corruption. So I think you should be thinking more like mafia boss than tax accountant when you hear tax collector. Cleaning out cash from people's businesses as protection or else the Roman Empire was at his back. And Jesus saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth, this totally despised work, and it's him he calls to be his disciple. It's hard to get the shock of the sovereign, gracious call of Jesus. Jesus invites a traitor and a thief to join Team Jesus. Think about that. Jesus called Levi. When you let that sink in, actually, it's very comforting news for the rest of us. The more I live as a Christian, the more I'm aware of what a poor candidate I am for being a follower of Jesus. When I think about the stupid things I've said, the selfish ways I've acted, the despicable things I've thought, would I have selected myself to be part of the team? Would I ever selected myself to be the pastor of Charlotte Chapel? <laughs> How glad I am of God's sovereign grace to me through Jesus, that his call on my life was not down to my moral achievements, my personal credibility, my track record of success, but only this, God's amazing, sovereign grace to me through Jesus. And notice the power of the Messiah's call. Verse 14, Levi got up and followed him. Had Levi been in the crowds on previous occasions listening to Jesus teach? We don't know. But Jesus intentionally disrupts this man's life. He calls him to leave his crooked business and its wealth and its comforts to follow him. And here's the power of it. He got up. He left it all to follow Jesus. 
There was an attractive authority in Jesus that Levi responded to. There was a love and acceptance and a welcome from Jesus that overturned all other considerations and in a moment he was changed. Notice the power in the call of Jesus that his gracious call had an amazing effect to change him. I mean, that's what Gary was describing as he shared earlier in the online service about the moment he became a prison, uh, became a Christian when he was in prison. When the God who said, let there be light comes into your life, he said, well, you know about it. Things change. And so from serving time in Perth prison, uh, the call of Jesus led him now to serve Jesus as a free church of Scotland minister. That's an amazing transformation. Clearly, Jesus is still changing people's lives today. When he sovereignly calls us and his spirit comes into our lives, it's like a second birth takes place. You become born again. There's new motivations, new desires, new goals. You become a new creation, a new you. There is a surprising desire to repent of the way you used to live your life. A recognition of, of sin and a new hope of change that's all wrapped up in Jesus. Well, such is the change in Levi's life that this man uh, began to be known by a new personal name, Matthew, which means gift of God. The man who people would rather avoid because he kept ripping them off becomes recognized as a gift from God. The man who wrote to record taxes that would be extracted from the people would later write a record of one of the gospels that would offer amazing grace of knowing Jesus freely to others. That is the sovereign grace of Jesus that changes lives. But secondly, notice here the scandalous grace of Jesus, verses 15 and 16. I mean, this decisive moment in the life of Levi was something that he wanted to celebrate. And so he throws a big feast at his house. He invites Jesus and his other disciples and all his former friends and associates along so that he can introduce them to Jesus. Well, I'm sure that the filmmaker Martin Scorsese would enjoy the opportunity of showing us what an interesting bunch of characters would have been present at the feast. I mean, here's a gathering of the outcasts of society, all the tax collectors in the community, all the men and women who plied their trades uh, against God's law. These are the undesirables. These are the ones the religious people called the sinners. And it's such a big event that the religious, religious teachers of God's law, the Pharisees, they observe what's going on and they're utterly scandalized that Jesus was not only seen in their company, but he was enjoying a meal with them. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? There's a lot of negative judgment in that question. And it's directed at Jesus and it's probably trying to drive the disciples away from him. In their minds, moral purity was everything. And to be close to people like this, people who mixed with the Roman Gentiles, well, they made them unclean. And their dodgy dealings meant they were not welcome in the synagogue. They were not welcome to be around the good people of Capernaum. I mean, that was bad enough to be close to them, but to eat a meal with them? Uh, to receive Levi's hospitality, to eat food from his table? Did this not imply that Jesus was accepting his immoral behavior? Did this not confirm their worst fears about this maverick teacher from Nazareth? He must be a moral compromiser. And with the crowds listening to his teaching, he was a dangerous influence on the community. That's what they were beginning to think. Now we're going to come back to think about this conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus next week. But here's the wonderful thing about God that we see in his son Jesus. God came in sovereign grace to meet with sinners. 
God is the one who takes initiative to fix the problem. When we deserve condemnation and judgment, but God has made a way through his son Jesus where he can treat us with undeserved kindness, amazing grace. You know, a critic gave Jesus the most glorious and hopeful title. He is the friend of sinners. Jesus was unashamed to be in the home of Levi, enjoying a meal with him and amongst a very dodgy crowd. I'm challenged by the example of Shona's Granny Mac or old Eunice, as she was affectionately known as a visitor of Perth Prison, because she was unashamed to get close to people the society would rather lock up and forget. To be loved and respected by gangsters from Glasgow, drug dealers, murderers, bank robbers, because you go weekly into prison to spend time with them and share with them the hope and forgiveness that God offers in Jesus, that's an extraordinary thing. To be willing to share a little meal of a, of a cup of tea and a tonics tea cake uh, made all the difference in the world to Gary as a new Christian in prison. Those who have received such scandalous grace of Jesus show it by extending that grace of Jesus to others, whatever their life story, their ethnicity, their sexuality, their crimes or their class. Scandalous grace is ultimately our only hope because none of us deserve it. And lastly, we need to see here saving grace verse 17 on hearing what they were saying jesus said to them it is not the healthy you need a doctor but those who are ill i have not come to call the righteous but sinners there's so much in this saying of jesus as he explains his actions i don't think doctors come to your home at all these days but they're certainly not going to call on you because you're healthy you know it's quite hard to get a medical appointment these days when i had a fever back in march um the receptionists at the local medical practice were very skilled at keeping me away from the doctor. But imagine this conversation. You manage to get in on a phone call at 8 a.m. in the morning and you ask for an emergency appointment. Uh, well, Mr. Reese, why do you need to see the doctor? Oh, I just want to show them how healthy I am. Silence. Phone goes down. <laughs> why is Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? It's not because he's a moral compromiser, but because he is a spiritual doctor. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has nothing to offer you if you think you're righteous. But you know, the most loving thing a doctor can do when he sees someone who feels fine, but actually has a serious illness, is to share honestly with them the truth about their serious condition. And the truth is, is that all of us should be in no doubt that sin is our greatest problem. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And if you're shocked to be described as a sinner, if you see yourself as one of the good people, not like those other bad people, then I want to lovingly warn you that you are in a spiritually delusional state. Read the Bible. See what it says. The problem of sin is not simply sinful things we do. It's a posture of our hearts. It's where we push God out and we put ourselves above God. And such an attitude of sin damages and it's a deforming illness in us. It threatens our souls. And to go through life in this state is pathological. We, we damage other people and we imperil our very selves for eternity. That is the problem of the sin problem. But here's the wonder of the sovereign grace of Jesus. He came to cure needy people who were sick with sin. God sent his son into the world to save sinners. 
That is why we rejoice to sing songs about the cross of Christ. For in the words of prophet, uh, the prophet Isaiah, by his wounds we are healed. In the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous, step one is acceptance. We admit that we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Step two, awareness. We come to be aware that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, decision. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, however we understand Him. Now that's so nebulous. It can be helpful still. But here's the wonderful realization to see that this power uh, is a person. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's Jesus, the friend of sinners who came to heal and forgive guilty sinners, to restore them back into relationship with God. And if you're still on the outside of this banquet of God's grace, it's my privilege on behalf of Jesus to invite you into it. Do you see what this feast in Levi's house is all about? It's a celebration of forgiveness, of a fresh start. It's a banquet of joy and fellowship. It's a place of honesty and acceptance. Why would you want to be on the outside of that? Repent and believe the good news. Uh, if you want to know how to respond and, and be helped in, in praying a prayer, then please get in touch. We'd love to help you. You could talk to God right now. Uh, I mentioned this prayer last week that basically is saying, um, sorry, thank you, please. Dear God, I know that I've done things that are wrong. I realize that my biggest problem is my sin. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you that your son died in my place. Please change me so I can live with Jesus in charge. Well, you could pray that prayer right now. You could stop the video, rewind, pray it, enter into this banquet of grace. Who is church for? It's for sinners who have been called by the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ, saved by his atoning death, who delight to be in the presence of his presence in the banquet of grace. And we, we so miss not meeting physically together. And normally over 700 people gather from different ethnicities, age groups, lots of young adults, children, different educational backgrounds, different life stories, all united in a sense that we're sinners who need Dr. Jesus to forgive our sins, to help us in our ongoing struggles with our sinful behaviors. We still need the cure of souls and we've got a community of love and care that helps us. We miss not being around the communion table which reminds us that we come to this amazing God by the gracious sacrifice of his son and, and that we look ahead when we will participate in this amazing heavenly banquet in the actual presence of Jesus and all of his people in the kingdom that is yet to come. I love this story. I mean, it tells us about sovereign grace. It tells us about scandalous grace. It tells us about saving grace that is our true hope today.